I don't know. I just guess I wanted to prove people wrong as well. Like everyone, like all the doctors were saying that like I wouldn't really be able to get back to a high level again. And there was like people in the sport who kind of were like, well, he's gone now anyway. Like he won't be doing competitions again. So I think that was kind of fire inside as well to kind of take everything seriously and do the rehab. Like if doctors said to me like, oh, you've got this exercise to do twice a day, then I'd always do it four times a day. Like I just pushed myself kind of past what anyone wanted me to do or expected me to do because I just wanted to get back for myself because it was what I loved, but also to prove people wrong and show that I guess I was stronger than they thought I was. That was British gymnast Luke Strong. I'm Curtis Mansfield, and you're listening to Hips and Dips. It is 2021. Lockdown is back. Schools are closed. Sport is off. But the one thing you can count on is the pods will be here every week. I actually want to start this latest episode by being somewhat selfish. I normally say this plug till the end, but in the realisation some of you may not make it that far, I have shoehorned it in here. I'm grateful for all the feedback so far, but if uh, you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe and review. And if you're new to the pod, why not check out the Instagram page? That's at hips underscore and underscore dips with a Z for updates on the latest episodes and for more information on all my guests so far. I have now released nine episodes of the pod, so plenty of them in the back catalogue for you to enjoy. I'd actually recommend episode seven. Despite the rather festive feel, it's actually a compilation of all of my guests. So it's a great way for you to sample multiple guests and choose which ones you wish to listen to. That's enough for me. Let's talk about today's guest. People have said they want more from British champions. They want more European medalists, more world medalists. Well, today's guest ticks all those boxes. A five-times British champion in gymnastic trampolining, as well as winning bronze at the 2014 European Championships, and silver at the 2017 World Championships. Those career achievements saw him rise all the way to eighth in the world at what he does. But his career did not follow the path of least resistance. Major injury setbacks, the gory detail of which I'll leave for Luke to describe later on, has left his impressive CV full of holes and missed opportunities, including perhaps, in my opinion, being maybe the most successful British gymnast to never feature at an Olympics. I don't want to reveal too much as I want Luke's story to be told in his own words, but I can assure you he has a fascinating story and I don't think this will be one you'll be turning off prematurely. So I think he's finished his training now. Let's get him on the Zoom call and let's start the podcast. Okay, Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. Um, so I was actually a little bit torn about how to start this interview because every other episode so far, we've started off by talking about how 2020 has been for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously now we're in 2021. Uh, but I've decided it's probably the perfect time actually to reflect on that whole roller coaster of a year. Um, so we're looking at this from a sort of a health point of view, and by which I mean not only physical, but also sort of mental and social and the whole well-being. So if you can briefly sum up 2020 for you um i don't know for me 2020 was a bit of a crazy year in terms of all of that so at the start of the year i had been 
struggling for a long time with what to do in terms of sport and career because I had struggled with um, a broken ankle for nearly two years that went like undiagnosed. So it was like the start of the year, it was like deciding whether to give the Olympics another go. Like, should I get surgery? Should I just call it quits? So at the start of the year, I had like a lot of stress from that and deciding what to do. And then coronavirus came along and that kind of helped with that decision, but then also through a lot more obstacles in everybody's way so then we were kind of stuck at home and I I don't know I guess I was already in a low place before that because of like everything that had gone on with sport and kind of making the decision to not go for my dream and so it was difficult to kind of be at home alone with my thoughts for so long Um, Mm. and Obviously, then I then had the surgery at the end of July and stuff. So then I was then stuck at home when everyone else was allowed back out, like recovering from that. So, you know, I'm definitely glad to see 2020 gone. And I think a lot of people will agree that it was probably one of their worst years. So I'm hoping that 2021 is a little bit kinder to everyone, including myself. Yeah, well, hopefully, yeah. Um, In terms of you mentioned sort of small injuries and your ankles and stuff. Can you see a positive in terms of prolonging your career from having that break? I know a lot of rugby players spoke about perhaps having those three, four months without high impact could potentially add another year to their career or year and a half to their career. Could you see that in your your sport? Um, at the minute, I'm not sure. I like um, Because I had the injury for so long and it was just it affected kind of everything that I did um, the surgery was kind of like a well we hope it works but we're not sure and I'm still kind of recovering from that like the ankle is still not back to how it was like the good thing is the fracture has healed but I'm still getting a lot of pain from like tendons and nerves mm. and stuff like that so at the minute I'm just really focusing on just getting the ankle right and taking my time with that and I don't know, I guess if sport comes along again, then that's a bonus. But at the minute, I'm not like, I, I don't know, I'm not like expecting to come back because I'm really not sure whether I will be able to. Yeah, no, of course. And then, and so, so from a, so from entirely the physical, so now you're, you're back training now to some extent, is that right? I'm doing like rehab programs. So I'm like trying to get my ankles strong again and then just like general, like just, what normal people do I guess like I go to the gym and lift weights cardio just trying to get general fitness back I had a mm-hmm. few months of eating like a little bit of a pig in lockdown so <laughs> <laughs> okay well no one can blame you for that um so I'm sure a lot of people have pointed this out to you but your name is an acronym mm-hmm. um uh, in other words your name sounds like what you do so with a name like Luke Strong you were destined to be either a gymnast or a weightlifter um, or yeah. perhaps a superhero. Uh, you'd been wasted if you'd become a banker or a lawyer. <laughs> it would have been a, a waste of a perfectly good name. Yeah, uh, had to be after. yeah. so there's been some notable examples of that in, in the history. Um, there was a psychiatrist called Jules Angst who focused on anxiety. Uh, there's a footballer called Michael Ball who... Um, who yeah obviously was well did football um so you're with me so far in this concept yeah yeah. uh so with that in mind i wanted to play a little bit of an ice-breaking game with you uh all about famous acronyms uh and it's called it does exactly what it says on the tin 
<laughs> I'm usually terrible at stuff like this, but go on. That wasn't bad. I was hoping for a bigger laugh, actually, but we'll, uh, we'll go with that. If the BBC or Channel 4 are listening, um, I'm available to spin this off on a spin-off show, but I'll warn you, bring your <laughs> checkbooks because it's, uh, it's going to cost you. Uh, so it's very simple. I'm going to give you a name and I want you to tell me the job that person does. Okay. You're good, yeah? So I'm going to put some time yeah. on the clock. And first up, we have Colin Bass. Colin Bass. Yeah. Um, a musician? Yeah, he's the uh, bass guitar player for the rock band Camel. Never heard okay. of them, but there you go. Uh, next up, Sarah Blizzard. Is she a news anchor? Without talking about the weather? Yeah, yeah. Weather meteorologist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> an easy one, this one. Usain Bolt. He's obviously a runner. Very fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Russell Brain. Grain. Uh, brain. B-R-A-I-N. Uh, um, is he a scientist? A brain surgeon? He is, yeah. He's a, he's a neurosurgeon or a neurologist. Uh, Christopher Coke. Coke? Yeah. <laughs> As in, like, the drink. Did he invent Coca-Cola? Uh, no, he didn't. He's actually a drug lord and cocaine trafficker. Uh, okay. that was my second option but I wasn't sure which one you were talking about well it could have been either um, <laughs> uh, Margaret Court um, she was a tennis player she was yeah um, she also could have been a judge which is the other option for her but uh, no, tennis players right uh, Rich Fairbank does he work at a bank he's the CEO of Capital One Bank which, uh, interestingly, actually won the award for being the world's fairest bank. So that was a really? okay. bonus point if you got that. <laughs> uh, last for a couple then. Uh, I've got Igor Judge. Um, he's a judge, I don't know. Like, oh, really? in the courts? <laughs> he is, actually. Yeah, he's actually the Lord Justice of Appeal. So, yeah, like a senior judge. Uh, and then let's go. Last couple, uh, Bob Rock. Um, like a geologist, is that the right word for that? Oh, no, that would have been a that would have been a good one actually. No, he's actually the music producer for um, the rock bands Aerosmith and Metallica. Okay. And uh, finally, William Wordsworth. No idea, but I'm guessing he wrote like the dictionary or something. Yeah, he's an, well, he's an English poet. Um, uh, and now actually, finally, this is a good one, actually. Uh, Anthony Weiner. God, did he invent the hot dog? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, uh, he's an American politician, which isn't that interesting, but he was famous for multiple sex scandals and oh, uh, nude photos. So. <laughs> there you go. I didn't actually write him down, but I think you got like 10 right. So that's 10 points. Well done. Thanks for playing. <laughs> it does what it says on the tin. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway, back to the interview. Uh, that was a nice little digression. Um, <laughs> uh, so you've clearly been highly successful in your field as both the British and then European and world medalists. Uh, but how did you first get involved in trampolining? Um, it was a little bit of an accident, actually. I was just um, 
think I was 11 years old and I just went to like a youth club near my house with some of my friends from school and we I just went to play football play on the playstations and I guess just hang around my friends really and they had a trampoline there which I didn't even know what one was at the time I had never been on one or seen one and I just kind of had a go of it and loved it the first time I ever got on it and then just went back week after week and then after about three weeks I was like picking things up pretty quickly and one of the coaches asked if I wanted to join um, their club which they did competitions and stuff and then I joined there and then after two years then moved to like elite level I guess and then that's when I moved to the gym that I'm at now so it's a little bit of an accident but it was just kind of once I started I couldn't stop. Yeah help me get the uh, mental picture you say you had a trampoline are we talking on those ones from the 80s that people used to aerobics <laughs> on a little round ones? No, it was like it was like an Olympic standard one so like oh, okay. obviously I had seen like a trampoline in your garden like with a net round it but I didn't know it was a sport and I didn't know I it was obviously like that so it was a, it was cool. So it's meant to be, I suppose. So would you were you a, a natural on the trampoline? Or was it something you just really loved? So you worked really hard at it from the off, or did you have that natural ability to uh because I, I know from my personal experience, um I had that fear about the trampolining. So we did a little bit of school and when it was yeah. like do a flip or I was like very like squeamish about it all. Were you just straight away on there doing the basics from the off? Yeah, like it was a bit of both. Like I definitely had a natural ability for trampoline straight away. Like I definitely worked hard at it and it was something that I wanted to be good at. And But like, I don't know, like the coaches would say like, oh, like let's learn this skill and I'd be able to just kind of see someone do it and then be able to do it myself a lot of the time, which I guess was kind of unique. And that was when like I kind of knew that it was the sport for me and it was really the first time that I had ever done a sport where I like absolutely wanted to do it like I couldn't wait to go the next day like everything else I'd ever tried I liked and I enjoyed but I could have like taken it or left it like I wasn't too fussed so I think it was like the natural ability but also it was just something that I was so passionate about and loved so then that made me want to be better and made me push myself yeah and I see did um did you have a background in any sort of gymnastics before or was this your first introduction uh, to anything like that? I had done like an artistic gymnastics class like once before, but I say that very loosely because they didn't really have any of the equipment. It was just like judo mats on the floor and you went and you, like, you did splits and stuff. So like it wasn't really what I wanted it to be. Like I had seen gymnastics at the 2004 Olympics, so I knew I wanted to do gymnastics. But there was no gyms like near my house that did men's. It was only women's. So that kind of option wasn't really possible. So, yeah, I did like martial arts and swimming and stuff like that. And then I just kind of stumbled upon trampoline by accident. And then I was like, oh, yeah, this is for me. Great stuff. Um, So you said your career uh, has had lots of high points, British medals, European medals, world medals. But what would you say has been those career highlights give me your top three let's bring to mind um and don't don't just say british three. medals european medals world medals <laughs> i don't want some specific examples is this just like i guess like just results like based alone i think probably my number one is winning a european medal in 2014 um it was something that i had like really dreamed about we've done that was like so shocking and like just an amazing moment um then probably number two was making an individual world final in 2018 
that had been something that I had just missed out on like so many times. Like I'd been point one out of the final, I think three different times other than then. So to finally have made the individual final was definitely like something ticked off of like my list of things that I wanted to do. And then probably number three would be winning my first British title, like um, the senior British title in 2011. I was just 17 years old and it was like my first year as a senior. So again, it wasn't, wasn't like expected, but it was definitely something that I knew I wanted. So, where where would you say the did you enjoy going to your first or your early world um, British Championships where you were an underdog, or did you quite enjoy having the tag as British champion when you turned up at these events? Um, well, it's difficult because I like I only ever. Like I, I did British Championships for the first time in 2006 um, and I'd only been trampolining at that point for a year. So that was really the only time that I don't think I had like a lot of expectation of myself or like and nobody obviously knew who I was and I was just a kid. Um, and then I won like my first junior one in 2007. So from then, I always had the pressure on myself anyway that I just always wanted to do better. And I always went into the British Championships wanting to come away with a gold medal and kind of for me, like anything less than that, I would have probably been disappointed about. Mm. So I don't know. It, British Championships was always the competition that I probably enjoyed the least because it was the most pressure out of everything, just from myself mainly. Yeah. So yeah, so it's, I'm interested in sort of the the training cycle ahead of major events. So I noticed from your success, I think you had. You won British gold, I think, in 2011 and 2015, um, which is the years preceding the Olympic Games. Um, mm-hmm. And then you didn't win in the Olympic year, etc. So did you find, did you ramp all your effort into getting up towards the Olympic year? So you, also you didn't win in the years after Olympics as well. So did you, did you all ramp it all up so you were at your peak sort of towards the Olympics? Or is that just a coincidence that you happen to have your success the years before each Games? It's more injury-based, the reason. So I won 2011 and then I missed 2014. Um, I had a little bit of a disaster. Like I was winning after the first round and then did a bit of a rubbish routine and just missed the title in 2013. Then I missed 2014 with a broken leg and then won 15, was second in 16, and then won 17, 18, 19, like, in a row sort of thing. So I think for a long time, like, it was just injury. But then (laughs) for ages, it took me a while to win, like, back-to-back British titles. So I'd win one year, and then the next year something would go wrong. And then I don't know if, like, psychologically a little bit in my head, I always just thought, like, oh, God, like, this is, like, an even number year. Like, will it go well? So I think once I broke that, then I kind of felt okay about it. But... Like a lot yeah. of the time it was like injury based though. So like I had missed a few British championships and stuff. Yeah. I mean, obviously you mentioned injury quite a lot there and that's going to segue us nicely into the next question. Um, I want to go back to 2009, which uh, from my research was obviously a, a very eventful season for you injury wise. Uh, so <laughs> just break, I want to know all the details, all the, all the gory information, what happened <laughs> that year? Um, so the year didn't start out too great to start with. So like 
about three or four months into the year, I was diagnosed with a stress fracture in my lower back just from overtraining and stuff like that. Um, so like already that year, it was like, like I'd train for like a week and then I'd miss a week and then I'd do a few days and I'd miss a few days. It was just like trying to manage that injury. And I wasn't a funded athlete at the time, so I didn't really have like a lot of medical care back then. So it was just a case of just trying to get through. Um, and it, like the year went pretty well. Like I won like junior British championships and I qualified for the junior world championships in November. Um, and six days before we were due to leave to go to Russia, it was just a random training session on a Saturday, I remember. And I didn't feel normal that day. Like I hadn't failed like routines for like two months. And that day I just could not get through a routine to save my life. It was just terrible. Um, so I just kind of felt like something was off. And then it was like my last go of the training session. I went to take off for my first skill, which I'd done thousands of times, which was for people who don't know trampoline, was like a triple front with a half turn. So as I went to take off, it almost felt like my left leg hit the floor. It didn't, but it just felt like something like hit me. Um, mm. I just remember like kind of my leg giving in and then I lost all of my height and just like kind of put myself safely onto my back. But I kind of instantly knew that I had um, like broken a bone of some sort. I didn't know how bad or anything, but I heard the snap and my leg was like a little bit out of shape, but nothing like too gruesome at the time. Um, so then um, the ambulance came and they tell me it's like a dislocated knee because the fracture's like high up. So like they weren't like concerned. So we got to the hospital and then it was like then when like the pain started setting in like really badly and my leg swelled past the air cast. And that was then when doctors were a bit like, mm, like this is a little bit traumatic for a dislocated knee. So we'll get you down and we'll get you an x-ray. So I was like, taken down and when they had done the x-ray I had fractured my tip and fib but it was not just a normal fracture it basically snapped but exploded at the same time so the bone was in like 15 different pieces and like it kind of like snapped like a tree branch so um then the doctors were like okay we'll take you to surgery and we'll put like a probe in to measure swelling because with high impact fractures of this nature like compartment syndrome is always a risk which is like it's what people get like in the war like when they get like blown up and stuff like that like you get compartment syndrome from the blood circulation not being able to get around like the limb basically so I went down for like a minor 20 minute surgery and like I didn't know at the time but the surgeons called up to my mom to kind of ask permission to do the surgery straight away because I already had compartment syndrome and there was no blood circulation in the limb and they said that I kind of had about 10 minutes before they had to amputate the whole leg. So I kind of don't remember any of this. It's like just from stories, but I just remember waking up basically a week later in hospital and both sides of my leg had been cut open. So it left the swelling out. I had a big cage on and I had been on ketamine for a week. So it's just <laughs> a little bit of a crazy time. <laughs> yeah, we've all had those weeks. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I actually saw I saw a quote from your coach at the time, which basically said, uh, which was Jay Jay Schooler, is that right? Mm -hmm. Coach, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which said Luke's injury was the worst I've ever experienced from one of my athletes, um, yeah. and I can see why now you've now you've explained it. Um, yeah. So, so I suppose one of my questions was going to be, but I think you kind of answered it now. 
were you involved at all in the decision making behind potentially having the amputation or was that entirely in the doctor's hands no so it ended up just literally being like in the doctor's hands i went down for major surgery didn't know anything about this like they of course like asked my mum for permission and stuff like but it was more a case of i think them letting her know that time was really limited on saving the leg so it was just asking permission i guess because i was a minor as well like can we go ahead and do the surgery so it was kind of out of my hand and i'm obviously extremely grateful for the doctors and the surgeons who were in that day and obviously very grateful to still have a left leg. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, obviously there was a lot of trauma that followed um, with the surgery and then the week off and stuff, but can you remember what your first thought was when the injury first happened? Was it one off? Like, oh, I'm going to miss like, you know, five, six weeks of training. Um, were you just thinking, oh, are we going to do that routine again straight away was was it did you when did you realize the severity um i just remember kind of like i was i was speaking to people and like loads of the stuff that i know is just from stories but i just know that i was like crying a lot because i couldn't go to worlds like i was just so devastated that i had worked so hard for the junior world championships that then i wasn't going to be able to go but like all i remember really is just like the pain like it was just painful for a long time and I was in bed in hospital for a month so it was kind of I don't know getting used to that as well like living in a hospital for so long um but yeah it was just like pain and I remember for probably for about six or seven months I couldn't look at my left leg at all just because like it had been cut open and I had like skin grafts and all stuff like that so like the shape of it and it had gone so skinny and like the wounds and like this, like just the skin graft, like knitting together just made me feel sick. And I, it like looking at my leg, it didn't seem like my leg. So it just would like, I don't know, guess bring back like trauma and stuff like that. And I struggled for a long time with like nightmares and stuff. Like every time I'd fall asleep, I'd like dream about breaking my leg again, like jump up and stuff. So like, yeah, it was just a pretty crappy time to be honest. Yeah. No, in injuries like that, you're, you can't be blamed for having that sort of PTSD. Um, and I think often you forget the long-term psychological impact. Um, yeah. We spoke a few weeks ago, actually had a guest on who was a hockey player who broke his knee playing hockey. Um, and we spoke about how, how would you put yourself back in that situation again? So in his case, it was, how would you play a match again, knowing full well, if the same thing happened again, you would break your knee again, you could lose your leg, all these sort of things. How did you yeah. then... Um, said, don't mind the physical side of it, purely from a psychological side of it. How did you then find yourself back in the gym thinking, I'm going to do a tumble? The same thing could happen again with the other leg or the same leg again. How, do you, how did you just go back to competing again without having that fear barrier preventing you? Honestly, I don't really know because even like, to, even like now, sometimes if I have like a long period of trampoline, like there'll be like certain skills, like the skill that I hate myself doing where I'll be like, oh, like I don't feel like strong enough to do that or anything. But I don't know, like for a while I was scared of it and like I'd have like the dreams about doing it again. But it was just one of them things like with trampoline, like everyone who does the sports for a high level knows the risks and I don't know, is used to kind of being scared because the things that, you have to do to do trampoline gymnastics is not normal and like the skills that you have to learn are dangerous and they are scary so I think to get to the level where you're able to do that skill you've already got to be like a little bit brave anyway so I think I just 
had that in me and I just knew that I had done the rehab, I had like done everything the medical team had asked me to do and just kind of trusting the steps and just built it up slowly and then like I'm not gonna lie, like the first time I did it, I did like crap myself a little bit, but once you've done one, then it just gets a little bit easier and it's just kind of I just kept telling myself I'd done it thousands of times, like I'd done it right more times than it had gone wrong. So I just kept trying to tell myself that and just got on with it really. Yeah, no, I um I remember back to being at school, we did trampolining for a term, and I was the kind of guy who if I bounced too high, I started to freak out a bit. So if I got more than like I don't know, 15 foot, 10 foot off the trampoline, I was like, well, I'm going to slow down now. Never mind doing a flip or any <laughs> exercise. If I was just too too high, yeah. it was too much for me. Um, okay, so but as, as we know, following that, you went on to win British titles. You, you won medals at Europeans and Worlds. Um, so, so now, so that was a psychological point of view, but now from the physical point of view, how did you... You had to learn to walk again, I'm assuming must have been ahead of a lot of physio to get you back up to first stepping onto a trampoline again so describe that process for us yeah um well I actually got back much faster than anyone thought like to start with I was told that obviously I'd never return to high level sports again like just to be able to walk would kind of be a bonus from like kind of the trauma and like the nerve damage and all stuff like that so it was just kind of like setting myself small targets so I remember I remember it took a while to like learn how to walk again and like my I had lost like all of the muscles in my legs so even when I like knew how to do the movements it wasn't like strong enough to do it so like I remember being like really frustrated with that and then it was like learning to walk upstairs again and then it was like going back to the gym and just doing like basic gymnastics movements and that took like a lot of months and stuff and it was frustrating but I don't know I just guess I wanted to prove people wrong as well like everyone like all the doctors were saying that like I wouldn't really be able to get back to a high level again and there was like people in the sport who kind of were like well he's gone now anyway like he won't be doing competitions again so I think that was kind of fire inside as well to kind of take everything seriously and do the rehab like if doctors said to me like oh you've got this exercise to do twice a day then I'd always do it four times a day like I just pushed myself kind of past what anyone wanted me to do or expected me to do because I just wanted to get back for myself because it was what I loved but also to prove people wrong and show that I guess I was stronger than they thought I was mm. yeah I think that's probably actually quite a common theme amongst successful athletes they always seem to be the ones who um one of my guests mentioned it before like the people who follow those programs the closest um, yeah. follow the physio the closest have that real sort of determinism obviously the ones who end up being the most successful and those yeah. who probably chance are if you were to just walk away from the sport after an injury obviously yours was pretty catastrophic any sort of injury maybe didn't have the mental fortitude to start with to actually be successful um yeah. but, so, but that wasn't just your only injury um that was the standout one the headline the headline act but <laughs> you um you had multiple others. So just summarise some of those other injuries you picked up over the years. Um, so in 2006, I dislocated my elbow, fractured my humerus. Um, I then had the stress fracture in my back, broke my left leg in 2009. And then from 2010 to, God, uh, like the start of 2013, I had like four um, different stress fractures in both legs. 
and then I got back fit again. And then in 2014, broke my left leg for the second time on trampoline. Um, kind of rehabbed from that, missed out on the Rio Olympics. Um, and then was kind of okay for a few years. And then in the end of 2018, I um, got a fracture in my right ankle, which kind of is the reason now that I'm kind of out of the sport and missing Tokyo. <laughs> so okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, say, I don't need to get like a definitive answer, but if you were to make an estimate of over the last 10 years, what percentage of time have you spent out of training with injuries? Um, don't know, that's hard. Like, I reckon probably if you add all the time together, it's easily a year at least, but maybe more. Um, because just, but it's difficult because just from like 2018 to 2020, I had a fracture in my ankle. So I was like in and out of training. So like for eight months of that, I just was normal training because doctors kind of had told me that there was nothing wrong and they couldn't see anything on the scans so that I kind of just had to get on with it. So for eight months, I just trained on a broken ankle and did competitions and stuff like that. And then, then it was like three months out. Then I'd train again for like three months. The fracture would still be there. And then I'd have another three months off. So it's just been like periods like that in my career where I've pushed through when maybe I shouldn't. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I see what you mean there. Um, and actually my, my next question is one which... Um, it's probably in poor taste now you said what you just said but I was going to ask is Tokyo 2021 a realistic option for you but you seem to imply that that's not on your radar at the moment um, so yeah so I made the decision to kind of step away from elite sport um, for physical reasons of course with my ankle like I couldn't get it sorted with doing rehab and offloading like I had actually lived the past like two and a half years in like a moo boot <laughs> um but i had to make the decision to like get the surgery and hopefully try and fix the ankle just for like the long run as well like it was just it was getting a little bit too much to like feel pain constantly like i couldn't even walk to the shop without stepping off a curb and like getting shooting pains in my ankle and that had kind of taken a real effect on my mental health so I was just so miserable and just constantly stressed and I literally like probably cried every day for like two years so I just made the decision that although it's difficult to make that like it's better to walk away from the sport than kind of try and hold on for Tokyo which maybe would be like a little bit difficult now anyway with not being fit and stuff but it's like a lot of like there was like a mental reason as well like I just couldn't I couldn't carry on torturing myself all the time. Like I was just so unhappy and depressed and just, yeah, it was difficult. Yeah. Well, you've got to, um, you've got to start thinking about the long-term implications. So that's something which I've spoken to loads of guests about so far, but at some point, and I've, I've asked most of my guests, where do you draw that line? And I think in your case, you have drawn that line about yeah. where do you start thinking about the long-term when you start thinking about, you know, when I'm older, I want to be able to, you know, have a family or be able yeah, to walk to the shops or go for a jog when you're 30 without being in constant pain or be able to, you know, 
lift stuff or decorate the house without being in pain all these sort of little tasks in the future but when you when you're in your 20s and so on it's much easier to to push that to the back of your mind but some stage you're going to catch up with you so so in your case you have drawn that line which is uh which is interesting so if it's not in elite sport what does the future hold for you um well i had like kind of a plan before coronavirus kind of mixed stuff up but um I don't know. I've still not decided whether I'll ever go back to elite sports. At the minute, the answer is probably not. And I kind of want to move on to the next thing, whatever that is. But um, I've kind of had a goal for like the past four years to visit every country in the world. So I'd like to do that and get into traveling and stuff, which is what I was supposed to do starting this year. So I was supposed to leave on the 1st of January to kind of disappear for a year. Um and then, like, after that and kind of during the traveling thing, I'd love to join Cirque du Soleil and perform in shows like that around the world and still be involved in, like, gymnastics and sport because it's kind of what I love, but just to take away, like, the pressure of, like, elite sports and all of that comes with that. Yeah, um, that goes on to a good point, actually. I saw, I haven't done my research very thoroughly, and I saw a tweet from you uh, a while back, which said, I really wished I would have stopped elite sport in like 2012 and went to the circus. Um, is that something you still agree with? Uh, would you would you genuinely want to sacrifice a large part of your career for something else? I don't know. It depends what day you ask me. <laughs> Some days I do feel like that. And I feel like sad that I missed out on like, I don't know, I guess all of them opportunities to perform, but with like less pressure, more money, seeing the world more. Um, then at the same, like, I don't know, like it's difficult because like there are days where I do feel proud of what I did from like the years after that. And kind of, I don't know, like I showed a lot of resilience to carry on when people said that I couldn't. And like, I definitely achieved things that I had wanted to achieve from when I was a kid, but just sometimes it's difficult, I guess, to see them things when, I don't know, like I have like a lot of disappointment from not having gone to the Olympic Games and having like all of the injuries and the setbacks and the stress and the pressure and everything that you sacrifice to do the sport. So, yeah, like part of me wishes that I would have done that, but then I don't know. Depends what day you ask <laughs> <laughs> Well, I suppose what's, what's quite interesting with you is, as you know, only too well um you're never guaranteed your place in the olympic team so you've got a very impressive resume um i'd imagine so i'm no expert in gymnastics but probably you must be amongst if not the most um consistent performer over the years as a male gb uh, trampoline gymnast um with your multiple uh GB championships and your European medals, world medals, etc. I think, am I right in thinking your European medal was the first one in something like 32 years won by a British male? Yeah, that's right. So it's like the first time in 32 years and like the first time since the sport had kind of gone Olympic and countries had taken it serious. So it was like a, a pretty big milestone for like myself, but also for like British gymnastics and like men's trampoline. Kind exactly. Of like exactly. People. Yeah, exactly. So my point is, you're a you're a big enough name in the in the sport 
to perhaps in other sports that might merit you a place in the Olympic squad, regardless of your form. Um, like, for example, uh, Andy Murray could be in the GB tennis team, regardless of whether he was like one in the world or a thousandth in the world, because he's just a big enough name. So, but as you know only too well, that guaranteed you nothing in your sport. So you've been this person for multiple years and you've missed out on two Olympic Games, you were reserved in 2016. But if I was to say now you're guaranteed a place in the Olympic squad, um, you could take the next, you know, seven to eight months as a, you could have as much rest as you want. You could just peak just for that one tournament in Tokyo. Would that be enough for you to stay in the sport if you were guaranteed a place at the Olympics? Um, I guess if I was guaranteed, yes. But even, I think even if like I could still qualify the place myself and like I was fit and healthy, I'd still probably carry on and try it even with just without the guarantee. I guess the thing that like has kind of stopped the dream and stopped me like working for it is that like I missed a lot of competitions with like the surgery and the ankle kind of being bad. So it just made it like pretty much impossible for me. So I think if I was guaranteed a spot, then yes, because it's been a dream of mine since I was a kid. So like, I would definitely love to go, but it's just sometimes you have to, I don't know, prioritise your mental health and your physical health before a dream. Mm, no, of course, of course. Um, okay, and then you mentioned uh, well, a, while, a while back now, but going to multiple countries in the world. Um, how many countries have you competed in so far, would you say? As, as an athlete? Oh, God. Um, just as an athlete, I don't know, maybe 25, 30. Um, quite a lot. Um, we go to like the same countries multiple times as well. So like definitely got to travel a lot since kind of my first competition in like 2007. Um, but then like I went traveling in like 2016 after I didn't make the 2016 games. And that's kind of when I loved like traveling just like myself outside of sport so like I've gone to a lot just like myself so it's been like a mixture but definitely one of my favorite things about doing sports and something that I definitely don't regret is how much you did like I got to travel and how much of the world I've gotten to see and that's kind of led on to now another passion which is great. Mm. Is there a country you travel to um, while you're competing that um gymnasts and trampolining was a was a major place a major sport so for example um you know water polo is not very popular in england but if you go to parts of eastern europe your your household name is there anywhere in the world where you'd say you've been where you're recognized as a big name for doing gymnastics um no i don't think so like gymnastics is like trampoline is still like quite a new sport in the olympics like it's only been in since too fast and so it's not like mainstream so it's not like you really ever get recognized places like obviously if you go in like arenas and stuff like mm. people will recognize you from trampoline and like get pictures and stuff and probably the craziest like experience of stuff like that was like columbia so like i don't even think anyone knew who we were but they just loved the fact that like sport had came to like their like city i guess so that was kind of the craziest that like a crowd's been. I remember like we had to get like 
police escorted everywhere and like there was like crowds of people waiting for when like you came out the doors and stuff and like they surrounded you like you were a celebrity like I'm sure they absolutely had no idea who we were but it was like fun to experience that side of it for a while but and if, if we were looking say 20 30 years into the future um we'd obviously have much grayer hair and uh probably be self-isolating but um where do you uh where do you see the sport going in the future do you see it is it it's been a fairly quick growing sport in terms of going seven olympics 20 years ago um and obviously the publicity's grown at a steady rate but it's still been quite a fast increasing sport like so many schools now have trampolining clubs or trampolines um you mentioned before like gymnastics gymnastics as a whole in this country you said you struggled to find gymnastics club growing up um nearby whereas now there's gymnastic clubs sort of far and wide so can you see gymnastics and sort of trampoline gymnastics just going from strength to strength can you see it being a more mainstream sport in the future um i don't know i'd like to think so because i don't know like i'm obviously biased but i think it's a great sport to kind of watch um it's just the only thing with it is like because it is so technical that like it's whether people can like look at it and easily understand it so that would maybe stop it but i don't know i don't see why not everyone who ever goes on a trampoline enjoys it and like anyone who sees it in real life is always impressed so i just hope that in the future like media coverage will follow it a little bit more and get it out there more so more people know about it so i think that's the most important i don't think it's an issue with once people see it that they don't enjoy it it's just it's not out there enough i guess Mm. What about, um, have you seen a boost from these trampoline halls, you know, like Oxygen and these sort of free jumping places? Has that boosted the sport at all or is that completely different? Um, I guess more people enjoy going on a trampoline because of them places, but at the same time, I think they've also created a lot of negativity as well because a lot of them places don't have qualified coaches there or trampoline experts, so a lot of people do get injured there. Like, mm. usually in, like, a club with a coach, like, injuries are rare. I've been really unlucky with, like, mine, and but they're all, like, freak accidents and things, and that's at the highest level. But I think if anyone wants to try trampoline, I would definitely avoid places like that and go to a club that has, like, British gymnastics qualified coaches who can teach you the skills safely and kind of take you through the progressions on even how to fall. That's so important with gymnastics that people don't realize, but you do have to learn how to fall safely because it is going to happen. Mm. So perhaps if you get your first taste in a, in a free jumping place, whoever, uh, and you think you like the sport, a great thing is to try and find your local club. Um, yeah, we've had professional coaches. So. Okay. That's great. Um, so, I think my last kind of key point, so I've got down on my list here, um, wants to travel the world, the circus, or your achievements. So I think I've ticked all them off. One thing I've noticed is, and this is potentially quite a sensitive subject, so feel free to uh, avoid the question or change the subject, etc. cetera. Uh, but when researching you, I found, uh, when I Google your name, the first, well, the first feature is actually from British Gymnastics. Um, but after that, the next five or six links all feature the word bisexual in the headline um, yeah. or some variants on that. 
so you could say your internet presence is partially defined perhaps by your sexuality mm -hmm. um much more than anyone else so if i was to look at uh i don't know max whitlock today when i'm a gymnast um i don't know anything about his sexuality but uh it wouldn't say the headline max whitlock comma heterosexual comma mm -hmm. uh yeah. wins olympic gold um it doesn't say like uh, Usain Bolt, comma, has a girlfriend, comma, wins gold or whatever. Most athletes aren't defined by stuff like sexuality. Um, and hopefully the way the world's going more recently in particular, people also aren't defined by race or gender. Uh, you wouldn't see a headline, well, you wouldn't want to see a headline saying Usain Bolt, comma, black man, comma, wins gold or something like that. But yeah. in your case, it seems your sexuality uh, is what's made the headlines more than your achievements. So I'm kind of interested, uh, from your point of view, are you disappointed uh, that perhaps your athletic achievements enough aren't enough to get you sort of interviews and headlines and podcasts and these sort of things? Um, or, so well, and or actually, are you sort of quite proud that you can sort of fly the flag on behalf of your yourself and other bisexual athletes. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't see it as a negative, to be honest. Um, I think all of that comes up because it's still like pretty new. Like it only happened a few months ago, so I guess that's why like all of the articles come up as that. But yeah, I don't know. Like like I said, like trampoline gymnastics is a small sport, so I think. Without them articles, maybe people wouldn't even know that I did sport full stop. So I think it's only kind of highlighted maybe my other successes, like as well as the sexuality thing. But I don't see it as a negative. I think it's a good thing that, and it was definitely unexpected. I didn't do it with the idea that like anything was ever going to come from it or people would care. Like I really didn't think anyone would. Um, but I just kind of mentioned it in an interview and then it kind of like exploded. But since that like i've had like so many messages of like support and like people who said that like that helped them be like the person that they are so i think i don't know like i'm i'm proud of it and i'm happy that i don't know i guess i can be like somebody in gymnastics that is kind of comfortable with their sexuality and not being mm. straight or whatever and hopefully that will help a lot of people coming up in gymnastics who then can be the people that they want to be, I guess. Well, yeah, like, and like you said, hopefully in the future, sexuality, race, like anything like that shouldn't matter. And hopefully it won't in the future, but I just think at the minute in sport, it kind of does. And there's a lot of sports where it's not accepted to be in the LGBTQ community. And there's certainly many countries in the world that still criminalize it. Yeah. So I think yeah. the more positive publicity and the more people who stand up and say that they're happy with who they are then the better no i agree um, it actually got me thinking of a great uh quote which i which i always quite liked which is a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they'll never sit in which i always i heard that when i was younger i mean it's always really powerful and the idea that perhaps the inroads you make now in your sport in terms of your sexuality those conversations you have which will hopefully mean in 20 30 years it won't be a headline grabbing point because it's irrelevant and, and it's, yeah. it's irrelevant now, but hopefully that'll be the case where so it's not even spoken about, which I think would be great for concerns. 
yeah, that would be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so that's the end of my sort of planned questions. Um, we always have to finish off with sort of any other business, so a chance for you to talk about anything you'd like to talk about. Is there any subject that springs to mind? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I could chat anybody's ear off about traveling all day long, but I think people would get bored. But other than that, I don't know. It's just kind of what other people would be interested in because I'm not sure. Obviously, it's like a little bit of a unique life as like an elite sports person, like the funding aspect and how you make a living and things like that. But it's just... Yeah, yeah no, I think that's um, that, that's an interesting point actually about the funding. Um, so often people think about sort of athletes and particularly in this country, we always think of footballers. Um, mm-hmm. So people who earn an extraordinary amount of money to do their job. <laughs> yeah, too, uh, too, yeah, too much, many would say, especially proportional wise across all the sports yeah. in the country. Um, so, I mean... <sighs> Have you been able to make a decent living um, from your sport? Um, yeah, like the past few years, like with kind of the results that I've gotten at like World Championships and Europeans, it's meant that I can focus on full-time training and have money to be able to live and travel and do everything that I need to. Like it, it's been fine. Um, but then, it, I don't know, like there's definitely positives and I'm very grateful to like UK sports for the support that they gave me while I was training, but they obviously there's like negatives that come with it as well, because like, I don't know, like they don't treat it as like, I don't know, like a job, like it's not like an income, it's more like a grant. So like, it's difficult to apply for a mortgage, say, because like they don't recognize it as like a job. So things like that is difficult. And then like, it's all results based supposedly. So like kind of your position in our competitions is how much funding you get. So, like there's always pressure and there's always stress to kind of achieve the next thing so that you can kind of keep your money and you don't have to then get a job and train full time. And But no, so all I want to do is just thank you, Luke, for your time. Um, it's been great talking to you. Really interesting guest. Great, great career. And, uh, and yeah, I'm sure my, guess, uh, my uh, listeners will concur. So thank you. Thank you. As mentioned in the new hit game show, Does What It Says on the Tin, Mr. Strong is an aptronym for gymnast, but perhaps not only for his physical athleticism, but maybe also his mental fortitude. Luke's journey was fraught with injury and setbacks, medal highs, but also Olympic lows. And it takes a mighty mental strength to draw a line and walk away from not only your sport, but your entire way of life, to consider your long-term future and not be blinded by short-term success. I think even on an amateur level, I'm fearful of the day where I can no longer play sport the way I love. And I hope when that day comes, I can tackle it with the same level of grace and composure shown by Luke Strong. Once again, let me thank Luke for coming on the pod. He seemed like a really great character. My guests from series one have been split between those I have pre-existing relationships with and those who I don't. Luke is someone I've never spoke to before today, but I really hope this conversation isn't our last. For more details on Luke, check out the social media. That's Luke underscore strong two on Instagram and Twitter. And why not go to at hips underscore and underscore dips with a Z 
or at Mansell Curtis for more information on future episodes. This is Curtis Mansfield saying stay home and stay safe.